0: Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. night all the way to New Jersey and we ended up shipping over four thousand uh, pounds of materials over going directly to a refugee camp um, and what was even more amazing is a lot of the workers that were at that facility are from the Ukraine so they were actually blown away and they said like where'd you guys come from and we're like from Florida and we drove it up here and I don't think we could have put one more back. <laughs> Honestly, in that band, it was to the top, and I know that that just takes a lot, Uh, so Jay and Eamon, thank you so much if you're watching online. I know Jay is actually in Turkey right now, so he's enjoying some good rest and some time off, but I also just wanted to take a special moment to mention that this weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and so... If you served or or know people who served and lost their lives serving our country, uh, our thanks is for you for the sacrifice that you guys made as a family, but also to them. You know, uh, a lot of what we see now and the fact that we're going to even talk about what we're going to talk about tonight is because brave men and women in our U.S. military have given their lives to fight for freedom, not just for our country, but for many others. And so we want to honor that and thank people for that. But tonight, as we go into... Our uh, message, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 13. We're continuing on in our series. And for some people, this is a really hard six verses of the Bible. For others, it's not. But I will tell you this, that it is hard to deal with. And there's a lot of questions that come up. And you're going to be like, well, what about this scenario? And what about this moment? And as I'm speaking, you're going to come up with objections. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Everyone just take your seatbelt and buckle up and hang on till the end. And I promise you we'll get somewhere, okay? Uh, but let me ask everyone a question Has anyone in here ever been really tired of our political leaders? All right, just a show of hands. Anybody ever get really tired of our political leaders? Okay, we're well, good. Let me ask you another question. Does it make it hard for you to follow them? Yeah. Okay, so everyone buckle up real tight. Okay, because today I'm going to give us God's perspective on difficult leaders. And I'm also going to give us how we are to respond as Christians. Because God's word is really, really clear about how we are to respond and behave and act as believers. And here's the reality. You need to take off your American hat and put on your Christian hat first. Because how we as the church of God respond in this moment to our leaders and to those that are ahead of us really matters in the end. And it doesn't just have to do with how we obey kings and queens or presidents or anything like that. It all has to do with how we obey and love King Jesus. And so this message is not about uh, like being for one political party or another. That's not what this message is about. This message is not about Christian patriotism or anything other than how we respond in our first seat as believers in this life. And it's not about how our religion is tied to our politics. We've had that happen a lot lately, and we've had some issues with that. This message is really about how our faith informs not our policies, but how we respond to our leaders. Okay, so I want to make some separations there because we are, in your faith should inform how you vote. It should inform how you how you look at certain policies or things like that. And you should exercise your right to vote, 100%. This isn't going to be how you should vote. This isn't at all about what party's right and what's wrong. This isn't about that. This is how we respond, 100% as people. But if you feel a little bit disenfranchised, I pulled up these poll numbers from Gallup on May 2nd uh, of this past month. Here's – just want to let you know what's going on in our country. 83% of the people polled are dissatisfied with the direction our country is going in. So if you're dissatisfied currently somewhat, a lot, oh, yeah, I'm really dissatisfied, I'm about to leave kind of thing, you're in company with 83% of our country. 83% of the nation right now feels that things are not going well. Of that 83%, 4% of Republicans are satisfied, 18% of independents, and 24% of Democrats are satisfied with the way things are going right now. Our current president, and we can compare this to other presidents, but just currently, what's going on right now? President Biden has a 41% job approval rating, and Congress is doing even better. Congress has an 18% approval rating right now. So if you are tired of your political leaders and not really satisfied with what's going on in our current country currently, you're not alone. You're not alone. And so this, the question of this is not, should you be dissatisfied? How dissatisfied should you be? It just means that our dissatisfaction should not be the barometer by which we respond to leadership in this country. <laughs> you go, oh. What am I supposed to do? If you're dissatisfied in another year and a half, go to the polls. Go vote. Go do all of those things. I'm not saying that you can't do that. But we are in a moment right now where we have to respond to the leadership that is above us right now. The time will come to vote. The time to do all of these will happen. But here's the reality. What Jesus did changes who we are and all that we do. In every single part of our life. So the question is. Is how did what Jesus did. Change the way that we respond to our leaders currently. And so let's open up the Bible. If you get mad at me. You can just get mad at the Holy Spirit. Because he's here. And he's speaking. So Romans chapter 13. Starting in verse 1. Look at what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Whoa. Oh, right there, in our face. Paul says, look, we need to be subjected to our authority. Why? Because every authority is established by God. And you say, what about bad ones? Don't worry, I'll get to them. So here's the deal. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Hmm. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of those who who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Hmm. But if you, are, if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, not like the movies, okay? He is avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You're like, I don't like these verses. I, like, this is hard. Like, what do you mean? Don't you know what's going on in the world right now? Don't you know how our leaders are? Don't you know all of these things? I really do, and Jesus did too. And Paul did too. In fact, like during this time, the freedoms that were experienced by people were nowhere near what we experience now. The governments were more oppressive. The the policies were more oppressive. In fact, the only reason why Christianity isn't being ravaged yet at this point in the Bible is because they're still considered a part of Judaism. Things go bad really quick in the near future for Christians. And so I want to say as we enter into this conversation, as we start to talk about how we should respond as Christians to our authorities and what needs to go on, we maybe need to set aside some policies and things like that. You can hold on to those, but this isn't the conversation. The conversation is 100% about why and how we follow the authorities that have been established By God. So, the very first question we have to ask is tonight is like, why do we follow authority in the first place? Like, why? Well, Paul's really smart. Paul's going to give us all the whys right at the beginning. Right? Because you and I both know and understand why really matters to us. Right? When we understand the heart of what God is saying to us in Romans chapter 13, then we have to really understand, like, that is going to give us this understanding and help us move forward. And so what happens here is the very first question I'm going to ask is, are we called to follow the authority of the day because they're great? No. No, that's never a qualification in Romans chapter 13. It never says because they're great leaders, because they're amazing, they're doing everything right, and they agree with you 100% doesn't say that. That's not a qualification here. And I want to say this so clearly and as clearly as I can. Understand that if you're in this room and you believe like I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that it is inerrant and it is infallible, then God divinely inspired Paul to write this to a people that he can't go to that will soon imprison him and kill him. That's the authority he's talking about. The authority that Paul is speaking of will soon kill Paul. And so we have to understand that this isn't in this like utopian perfect world where God inspires Paul to write this. In fact, the church is having to meet in secret right now. They're underground. And Paul says, listen, I need you to understand something. We need to love and serve and subject ourselves to the authorities that God has put above us. It's hard. I know that it's hard. And I know that there's parts of this that that just, you're like, what what do we do? And listen, I think Paul's smart. Because if you remember what we've gone through in the past few weeks, God talks about this. The first eight chapters, or nine chapters, are basically about our relationship with God and how that relationship affects our relationship with the church and with people and believers. Then it goes on to say, this is how we deal with unbelievers. Then it says, this is how we deal with our enemies. And now, in Romans chapter 13, Paul goes, and this is how we deal with politicians. Okay, Paul's not, there's a bit of humor in this. This is how we deal with our enemies, and even worse, here's how we deal with the politicians. <laughs> so here's what I want us to understand. I want us to understand the why before we move on at all. Here's what Paul says. The reason that you and I like, are subject ourselves to the authorities that are above us, Is because it's really about a heart issue. It's really about a heart issue. Because we have a rebellious heart. That's exactly what goes on inside this heart. And how do you know? Because we have rebelled against the perfect king. So you say, oh, Blake, but you don't know all those authorities are so bad. And if they were good, I would follow them. How many of us follow the greatest authority in the world, Jesus Christ, every day, all the time, because he's so good? No? If Jesus says it, yes, I'm in. So here's the deal. The quality of the leader does not determine your ability to obey. Because so many of us don't obey the greatest leader in human history, nor the king of the universe who sends his Holy Spirit to sit on the throne of our heart. So we got to get that excuse out of the way. It's a hard issue. Because in our own minds, The part of original sin that resides so deeply in us is pride. Pride. I believe that pride is at the root of every single sin that you and I struggle with. Pride. We're owed it. We we, we deserve it. And we are kings. We are lord of our own life. And so what Paul says is this is really a heart issue. Because here's what he says. He says, to follow and subject yourself to the authority of the day... Is to what? Be obedient to God. He's the one who placed it there. Even bad ones. Even terrible ones. Even awful ones. God uses it. And I'm going to give you examples here in just a minute. So to obey the authorities, is to submit to God. Because why? Jesus is the superior Lord. So here's what I want you to think about. You say, I can't do some of these things. I don't like these guys. Listen, I don't like everything that they do either. But I have a higher authority that I'm accountable to than them. His name is Jesus. And he says, I've established this. And so you are going to need to be subjected to this right now. And so my following and my object, like subjection to the authority of the day is not really just to the authority. It's to Lord Jesus. That's exactly where it starts. You want to know why? Because it begins with Jesus. Verse 2 says this, to rebel is to rebel against God. To rebel is to rebel against God because it's an established authority. Now, are there times that we can rebel and how do we rebel? Yes, we're going to get into that in just a minute. But what else? Paul says, look, if you rebel against these authorities, there's just punishment coming to you. Like they're, they're, like some of us are getting like, like if you speed, the just punishment is a ticket. Even if you don't agree that there should be a million roundabouts in Sarasota. Even if you don't agree that certain roads are 35. Even if you don't agree with like, this is the governed speed limit. You still will, if you disobey, receive just punishment, is what Paul says. In verse 4, it says this, it is the right thing to do. Why? Because God is using authorities for our good. God is using human presidents and queens and kings for our good. You say, how, like, how, do, you, how do you say that? How do you like, agree with this? How do you do all of this? Like, how do you say this? Even the book of Micah brings up that God is sending the Babylonians and the Assyrians in to ravage you so that your heart will turn back to God. And then he says this. By the way, I know that they're evil and I'm going to deal with them. So don't worry. Like if you like are worried in this room and you say the reason I can't do this is because they get away with it. No one gets away with anything. And so sometimes it's more about saying yes to God and believing he's a good father and he's capable of all things and he sees all things and he's going to make all things right. And so when you can't go, I can't do this, you have to go to Jesus and go, but I can through you. I'm going to have to trust you in this moment. And so sometimes what we see as evil now is really being used for our good in the future. 100%. Sometimes the evil that we see in this world now is the good that we will see in the future. Like, and we have modern examples of this, do we not? You know, one of the greatest tragedies I think going on in our current culture is that we're erasing our past. Even the bad parts of it. If you've ever been to Germany, I go there every once in a while. You know what's on TV like a million times? World War II documentaries. And you know what's in those documentaries? There's a lot about Hitler in those documentaries. And they don't hide from their past because they never want to see it happen again. And one of like, the redeemable things that can come out of that war is the fact that the world will never tolerate a leader like that again. And so does it justify what happens? No. But man, God can turn what man meant for evil into good. So as Christians, we can also see the good that people do without throwing out everything else. Like, we have to be able to admit, like, whether you agree with this political party or not, you agree with this thing or not, you agree with that leader or not, we have to, as Christians, be able to recognize the good that's going on. We have to. Because we, we, we can't erase everything. This has been the part of humanity that's gone on forever. This is the part of what goes on, the redeemability. We can't deny that. So you're saying, oh, like, Blake, where does God use bad leaders to do good things? Glad you asked. Okay, so in the Bible, there's this leader called Saul. Does anybody remember Saul. Yeah, really smart guy, good guy, good looking, right? Like he is this mighty warrior king, but then this little boy named David, who's a shepherd in a field, gets a stone and a sling and kills a giant, and God says, because of this and what goes on, and because now of your wickedness, Saul, the kingdom and the line is no longer to be in your line, it's going to go to David. And so what happens to David? David has to flee. David has to spend time in the wilderness. David is the chosen king of Israel. And yet, what happens in that, in that moment, in those places, in that dark cave where David is suffering? What is God doing to David? Preparing him. Preparing him in the darkness, preparing him in the wilderness, preparing him to get ready to go, preparing him for all of these things. And so was Paul or Saul perfect? Not at all. He really messes up and David becomes king. And you think, David, you're the one who suffered so much. Certainly you would be a great king. And David was a good king, except he had a little bit of a lust issue. So do we discredit everything that David did as king because of Bathsheba? Was it good that he did these things and and what he went into life with? Not at all. But do we just write David off? If we start writing everybody off because of the one mistake they made in their life, there's no one left. There's nobody left. Except Jesus. And you go, well, of course I'll follow him. Really? Hmm. What about Solomon, David's son? He's raised up to be this king. He built Solomon's temple. I mean, he builds this huge temple. He establishes so many things. He is completely smart and wise. He even writes this part of this book called Song of Solomon. You know why? If you know anything about the Song of Solomon, you ever read that? Yeah, buckle up, okay? I'll tell you why he was able to write that book. Because Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 700 wives and 300 concubines. This is Solomon. He's referred to as one of the wisest men in the Bible. I, I don't know. That doesn't sound smart. <laughs> right? 700 wives. And listen, like, they're unbelievers. They're from different tribes. They're from different nations. And they actually turned Solomon to start worshiping false gods. That's the wisest one we got? Yeah. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Sounds like a nightmare. Okay. How about Hezekiah? King Hezekiah brought prosperity to the kingdom, but in pride showed the Babylon, Babylonians all of Israel's wealth. Hezekiah goes, hey, the Babylonians are here. Let's flex. All right, hey, come here, dude. Come look at this. You want to see all of our wealth? Here's the treasury. Look at all of this that we have. Look how wealthy we are. Look at us. Like, we're awesome. And I know that you're the biggest superpower in the world, but hey, we got a lot going on. And you know what Babylon, Babylonians do? Hey, we're coming in. Thanks for showing us where the treasury is. We're on our way to pull you out of the land and into captivity. And why does God allow that to happen to Israel? Because their hearts had turned from him. And so he's going to turn them back. And sometimes the most gracious thing that God can do for you is to actually give you what you wish for. Because then you'll realize there's no fulfillment in that thing. But all of these people in the Bible are, are leaders, but they're deeply flawed. They, like, they become oppressive in many cases. I mean, even the Egyptian midwives disobey leadership, but like we see God use that, right, with baby Moses. And so what does Paul say, like, how do you and I begin to like, show our obedience and our allegiance? Well, because the reality is, is for many of us, where our money goes is where our allegiance goes. And so what does Paul say? Some of you are like, I wish this wasn't in the Bible, but here it is. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. What? To bad governments? Doing bad things? And naughty things? And oppressing us? Yeah, there's no, um, in the Greek, that means pay your taxes. That's what it literally means in the Greek. Why? For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect whom you respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Paul says what? That this is about our heart. It's about our heart. And sometimes, like, we really believe and probably could do a better job. Like, honestly, I think that there's some people in this room that could do a better job than our current leadership. Like, really, I believe that. But that's not the position that God's called you to. He's also not called you to be judge and jury. And so sometimes God is slowly working things out well when we can't see the end. I mean, can anybody attest to that? Can anybody attest to like that teacher who gave you a zero because they caught you cheating? That was me. I was in homeroom, freshman year of high school, forgot to do my vocab homework. So what did I do? I didn't want to take the L, so I like took someone else's homework, <laughs> started writing it down, put it in a secret book, you know, do all that thing. Mr. Gilliland caught me. And I thought he went, took me to Miss Haber. You won't believe what this joker was doing. I'm like, what? Huh? You know when you get caught doing something? You're like, what are you looking at? And you're like, not, nothing. I'm not looking at anything. I'm looking at my science book. What's going on? How was your day? <laughs> He's like, what? So he takes my vocab book. I go to the, to the like, lady, Miss Haber, my English teacher. And they're like, look, you get a zero. You get a zero. You get detention. You get detention. And I thought, man, these, like, can't they just give me a break? I'm a good kid. I do a lot of good things. I'm just trying to learn. I'm just really learning fast. I learn well from others. I observe by watching others. <laughs> so I just watched them do their homework and then I did it with them for me, right? Like that's the way I did it. But here's the deal. Do you think I ever cheated like that again? No. In the moment it felt terrible and I thought these were unjust rulers. Why would you give us this much homework anyway? I'm a kid. I got to live. You got me doing all this vocab homework for words I'm never going to use. If I need to know, it's called dictionary.com. I'll just go there. But the reality is, is what it was teaching me was character. What it was teaching me is who I really needed to be. And so here's what you hear after those verse six verses. If I stopped here, you'd be freaked out. So here's the next question. Is it ever okay to disobey? Is it ever okay to disobey? We're going to leave the book of Romans now and head to a book called Acts. If you go to Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, let's just read a story. Here's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And when they had brought them, this is Peter, uh, and, and some of the disciples, they set them before the council. And the high priest, big authority of the day. Remember, those are the authorities that just killed Jesus a few months ago. Okay? So those guys, we know that they're terrible leaders. They killed their own Messiah. Not good. They missed it. Those ones, they bring in Peter and the other disciples. They say, hey, we got to have a conversation. Verse 28, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. That's Jesus' name. Yet here you are, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They said, we already asked you to stop talking about Jesus. We've already asked you to be quiet. You're, you're stirring things up here in Jerusalem, and we're sick of it. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, what? We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, and then he gives it to him, right? Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to all Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. Is it ever okay to disobey? Yes. Why? Because Romans already established for us who the true leader is. Jesus. Jesus. And when a lower authority tells you to do something that's contrary to the higher authority, you always go to the higher authority. So is it okay to disobey sometimes? Yes, when it causes you to not obey King Jesus. And so you're like, man, what do we do and how do we do this and when do we know? it's not policies that we disobey with. It's the Bible we disobey with. This is what we look at. This is our God. This is what it tells us to do. And if it doesn't explicitly say to do it or not to do it, don't make that the letter of your disobedience. It has to be in here. It can't be your preference. It can't be the type of music you like. It can't be where you grew up or the kind of accent that you have. It has to 100% be what the word of God says. And if it's contrary to his word, you may disobey. Why? Why? Because you're choosing the higher authority to be obedient to. That's the one whom we, at the end of our life, will give account for our lives and the things that go on. So examples, the midwives in Egypt, did they disobey Pharaoh? Basically, they kind of get away with it. They're like, well, you haven't killed these babies. And they're like, I know, these women have these babies so fast, they get them out, and I can't do anything about it. And even Moses' mom disobeys Basically, what does she do? She goes, okay, you want me to put the baby in the river? Okay, you didn't say I couldn't use a basket. Okay, so I'm going to use a basket. (laughs) But the reality is is that you and I can, can disobey on one condition. That it violates the word of God. That's it. That's the only caveat. Not the political party. Not their position on certain things that you don't agree with, but on things that the Word of God explicitly lays out. You have full authority and ability and privilege to step out and disobey them. But here's the deal. How we disobey matters. That's the deal. How you and I disobey matters. Why? Why? Because what we're going to see at the end of all of this is it's a heart issue. It's about how we deal with authorities, how we do certain things, how we do this. Because the point of disobeying authorities because you want to obey God is so that those authorities' hearts will turn to God. It's not so that you can be justified in your disobedience. It's not so that you can be just naughty and like it, like, ha-ha, look what I did, and I'm justified. It's 100%, almost every time in the Bible, Christians disobey. They disobey with the heart to turn the leader's heart to the Lord. There's one person who disobeys a lot. His name's Daniel. You guys know Daniel? All right, let's just look. He just disobeys three times in the first six chapters of this book. So let's catch up with what's going on in the story of Daniel, and here's what I want you to see in it. Daniel starts off when Israel has been taken into Babylonian captivity. So not even like a bad leader from their own nation, a bad leader from a foreign nation, from a foreign place. That's not their people, and it's not their traditions, and it's not their way of thinking. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He's the ruler of the largest nation and largest empire of the time. And Daniel begins to work his way in that society. And so in the very first part of this book, they bring them in. They say, hey, Israel, we got some food for you. So everybody, let's eat up. And they're like, but we eat kosher. And they're like, we, kosher? What's kosher? Yeah, our God has some laws about what we can eat and what we can't eat. So what are you going to do? So here's what Daniel does. Daniel chapter 1, verse 12 to 15, it says this. Daniel goes, hey, why don't, like, can I just, can we try it my way and then see how that works out? And if not, we'll talk at the end, okay? But this is what Daniel says. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. None of these things violate what God has said. Then let your appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He says, look, let us... Me and my friends just eat vegetables and water, and then you feed everybody else everything else. And then at the end of 10 days, let's just see what happens. Like, who looks stronger? Who looks healthier? Like, who's not hangry? Like, let's see what happens. Verse 17. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth. Only time in the Bible you're supposed to be fatter. Who ate the king's food? So the steward took them, uh, took away their food and the wine and and the drink and gave them vegetables. Do you know how hard it is to turn the king of an entire nation's mind away from what he's just told you to do? Daniel didn't say, don't you know, you fool? You Babylonian pagan king, don't you know who my God is? Don't you know? what he said don't you know what he can do don't you know that you are his footstool and he's going to dominate you no Daniel in humility says what hey can we find a compromise here why don't we just try it my way for 10 days and let's see what happens if at the end of it, we can, you get to judge it, you get to see it, you get to know what happens. But at the end of 10 days, can you just like, let's see what happens then. How Daniel objected really mattered in the outcome of it. See, because some of us are objecting to our rulers and our leaders right now in a way that will never lead their heart to repentance or never lead their heart to change. Because what you've done is put them on the defensive. And when someone's on the defensive, they're never letting something new in. Have you guys ever watched, like, a political debate? We're about to get into them. It really seems like they change each other's minds, right? It really seems like they're listening to each other, doesn't it? It really seems like they know what's going on, but the, have you really, like, watched what they do? Is they And this isn't new, okay? This is, like, from way back in the day. Even Christians did this. Luther talked about this guy named Erasmus. And he told Erasmus, it's better you just tie a stone around your neck and jump in the ocean, Erasmus. And you're like, you, you probably changed his heart. He's like, you know what? I love what you said. It really has made me feel like I should change my theological position. Right? So, like, what, what do you have to say? Like, you, pointing fingers, puts people on the defensive. Daniel doesn't do that. So Daniel gets away with that. And Daniel starts to kind of move up in stasher in Babylon. So then what happens? So then Nebuchadnezzar goes, hey, everybody come out here into the field. See this golden idol I just made? Everybody needs to bow down and worship the idol. And it's like, you know, Daniel's at a Benny Hinn a moment, and he gets slayed, and Daniel's the only one left standing. And Daniel goes, "I, uh, I can't. I can't bow down. I can't do this. I can't. Deal with this. So Nebuchadnezzar gets mad. Verse Chapter 3, verses 13, starting here. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Is it true? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. They didn't say like, oh, I got a stiff leg. I can't get down that fast. No, they were just like, yeah, we didn't do that. They didn't, when everyone else bowed, scream heretic, scream heresy, scream all of these things. They didn't take paint and throw it on the idol. They didn't do any of these things. They just didn't bow down. That's it. So, what does he say? He says, Is this true that you didn't do this? You didn't bow down and worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to talk back. Here's the deal. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. Not a sign of disrespect, not a word of disrespect. Disrespect. He will deliver us out of your hands, king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so what happens? They go into the fiery furnace, and they are not consumed. In fact, chapter verse 27 of chapter 3 says this, that they didn't even smell like smoke when they got out. They're in a fiery furnace, and yet they are not consumed. And the Bible says that when they walk out, they don't even smell like they've been at a barbecue joint. I don't know about you, but if I get around like a campfire for 10 minutes, I basically throw my clothes out. Right? I'm like, this is awful. Some of you like smelling like smoke. I don't. Okay? But they come out, and there's no campfire smell. There's nothing. But I want you to notice something in how they responded to the king. They say, king, listen, our God is going to honor this. And we're going to come out. And even if we don't, like we're not going to worship idols. And they were disobedient but respectful. And then finally, the the story that you and I are probably most familiar with is Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Daniel continues to escalate within the kingdom. Why? He's disobedient. He, he doesn't listen to this big king multiple times, and yet he starts to grow in stature. He starts to grow in influence in the kingdom to the point that everybody else is jealous of him and wants to kill him. So what do they do? They set up a plan. Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of excellence, the excellent spirit that was within him. Notice that the Bible recognizes Daniel's heart and how he establishes himself in this kingdom. He, he does what? He, it's a heart issue. The way in which he rebelled was not just against a king, but towards the Lord. And so what happens? Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to any fault because he would basically, because like they want to find something wrong with Daniel to get rid of Daniel. What happens? They can't find anything. Verse five. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We're not going to find anything wrong with Daniel, but here's one thing I'll tell you about Daniel he's consistent. And if we put something out into the decrees that will cause Daniel to be disobedient, then we can get him. So they go to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, hey, for 30 days, I just want you to make this decree that nobody in the kingdom shall pray to anybody but you. But you. Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, that's a good idea. All right. I like that. Okay.' so he signs it into law. And what does Daniel do? He immediately, immediately goes into his room, throws open the blinds, and prays to God in front of everybody. Because he cannot do that. And so he's disobedient, but he's not disrespectful. He just had to pray, and people caught him because they were looking for him to be disobedient. Daniel 6, verses 19 to 28, it says this. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. All these people bring Daniel up and they go, look, he was praying in the window. He was doing all these things. Look how disobedient he was to you. And so the king's like, my hands are tied. I signed this decree and I can't go back on it. So Daniel, you're going to have to go to the lion's den. And these aren't kittens. And Daniel goes, all right, hey, yeah, that's the rules. Okay. But the king doesn't want to do it because he loves Daniel. Because the way that Daniel has done things for so long. And it says this. At daybreak, the king runs to the lion's den. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. Notice how Nebuchadnezzar's words change. He was supposed to be prayed to as God. And he says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Like, hey, are you there? He says, God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? What does Daniel say? Then Daniel said, O king, live forever. Daniel doesn't go, hey, Joker, why would you put me in here? Hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? You fool? Don't you know? Haven't my God shown you? What is the first thing that comes out of Daniel's mouth? O king, Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. He shows honor to him. Even as he was trying to kill him. Even as he puts him in the lion's den. O oh, king, live forever. O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth. He didn't even have to deliver Daniel's head out of the mouth. He just shut the mouth. It wasn't, he just shut it up. Hey, nope, not happening here today. And he says this, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before you and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, not a scratch, because he had trusted in who? God. And the king commanded, and those men whom had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Some of you just need to be quiet and let God deal with your accuser. You just need to be obedient. You need to honor the king. You need to do what you're supposed to do, and God will handle the accuser. So he commanded and all of this, and they were cast into the den, and they and their children and their wives. Bad day. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote, which is Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, the largest kingdom the world had seen at that time, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be true to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Notice what happened. Daniel is disobedient three times. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're disobedient. And yet at the end of the story here, The Bible says that the king of the largest nation in the world at the time says everybody should look at this king and this God of Daniel. Now, do you think if Daniel was a smart aleck? Do you think if Daniel, who was right, always said that he was right? Do you think if he began to belittle and call the king names and say what God was going to do to him? Do you think that that would be the end of the story? No, because here's the deal. The way in which we do this is to honor people. And we talked about honor. Honor is not based upon what people do. It's the fact that they are a person. Right? We talked about this last week. If we're going to be pro-life, we better be pro-whole life. And we better honor but somebody for their entire life. Because honor is not built and established upon what a person does but the fact that they were made by God. And so how do you and I disobey? We disobey respectfully. With meekness and kindness and gentleness for the purpose that the kings and presidents that we disobey because of the way that we disobey will turn to the Lord Jesus because they will see his work and his life within us. So can you disobey? Yep. How you disobey matters more. I just think about even like our modern context, like our modern, what, what just happened in our country. Look at like what's going on with us as Christians and how we're disobeying and the things that we're doing. Do you think that people look at us and go, man, that King Jesus is powerful. That King Jesus is incredible. That King Jesus is awesome. Man, they disagree with us, and they disagree with everything that we say, and yet they still love us, they still honor us, they still respect us. And yes, they're willing to meet their end because they believe that God can protect them, but man, like when they disobey, they do it in a way that is winsome and welcoming. Why? And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is our greatest example. I'm going to end here. Listen to what the Bible says. Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, teacher, we, who are the Herodians? They're intellectuals of the day. Think about like lawyers. They sent lawyers with them. Right? Right? And they sent their disciples and their lawyers, and they said, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. False flattery, not honoring. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. He says, jingle your pocket, pull out a quarter. He says, okay. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Whose face is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus looks at them and says, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they weren't angry. They marveled. And they left him and went away. God shut the mouths of the adversary. If anybody in this world ever didn't need to do certain things and bow and do certain things and be obedient to certain things, it is King Jesus. But he willingly chose to obey, to be an example for you and I. And these are the kings are the people that are going to kill him shortly. Why? If you knew you were going to die at the hands of people like this, of kings like this, why would you be obedient? Because it was always about being obedient to the Lord. And the way in which he did it, in the way in which he walked, in the way in which he, he lived was completely, completely humble, honoring when he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You say, I can't do this. These, these jokers are so terrible. You don't even know. Do you, do you watch Fox News? Do you watch CNN? Do you watch this? Do you see what these people are doing? And God goes, Yeah, like some of those kinds of people killed my son. I know. I know. He willingly was obedient to death on a cross. It did not speak malice or anger or any of these things when he could have gotten down, even when they ridiculed him, even when they mocked him, even when they hit him. He said nothing. Why? Because he knew that being obedient to God was more important than being proven as a king at that moment. Why? Because he realized that this war in this life is not about warring against man but it's warring against principalities of darkness and evil. And so Jesus wasn't here to establish a political kingdom. Jesus was here to establish a heavenly one. And because of that perspective, he was able to endure winsomely the ridicule, the anger, the disrespect of humanity because the value of what was to come was so much more important. And I think for so many of us in this room, and I think this is maybe a state of modern Western Christianity. Everybody thought that Jesus was starting to set up a political kingdom. And so they were looking for a political Messiah. And I think we still are. And so because of that, we're so dishonoring. We're so angry. We're so mean. We say some of these horrible things. And no one would know that you valued humanity by the way that we speak to someone on the other side. And you know what we've done? Because of pride, we forfeited our call. Because you can't reach someone that you're busy tearing down all the time. So disagree and have your policies. And when it's time to vote, go vote, go do that. Do your civic duty, be part of it. But we serve a greater kingdom than a political party. And so does honoring mean agreeing? No, because it's beyond Their values, it's the value that God gave them by creating them. In church, we have to do a better job. And I'm talking about the entire church has to do a better job. And so why can Paul write these words? Because Paul knows he's called to a better kingdom, a greater kingdom. And the mission of that kingdom is to reach people and bring God to people and people to God. And because of that, Paul can endure it. And Jesus was our greatest example. And so let me just ask us right now, how are we being an example? Do people look at us like Daniel and go, this God that he serves is incredible. Because look at like how he dealt with this. Look at how he deals with this. Like like, he's disobedient, but I love him. He's disobedient and I'm endeared to him. Because of his strong stance, but a humble one and a meek one and a kind one, I'm gonna elevate him. And I just wonder like if this is who we need to be in the next few years. Because, like, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that this election is gonna be worse than the last one. It's already happening. And can we start to see, like, and find commonality and move towards a common goal and remember the way that we speak to each other really matters because we want to be winsome to invite people in. I know that we as a nation just suffered a great travesty. I don't know about you guys, but I don't care what your political views are on the Second Amendment and all of these things. I don't care because here's the deal. I was scared to send my kids to school the next day. My wife and I woke up in the middle of the night to think about my kids going to school the next day. And here's what I want to say. I really believe all of us want to have this stuff stop. I really believe that. On whatever side of the political aisle you're on, we want this to stop because we value humanity. So instead of screaming at each other from across an aisle, we need to look at each other and go, we need to find a way. And you said, well, when they start acting right, then I'll act right. Wrong. Be a leader. Lead well. Be a Christian. Love well. You want to see change? Change. Yes, there's wisdom. And I can see it on both sides. I look at it and go, I see it, I see it, I see it. I don't know the answer to this problem. But I know that it's not screaming at each other. I know that it's not tearing down and grandstanding and stunts and all of this stuff. Because you know what? I just want my kids to be safe when they go to school. And I believe. And I want your kids to be safe. And I want every kid to be safe when they go to school. So we're all working towards a similar goal And instead, we're all working towards a similar goal and we fight each other instead of bringing it to the people who wanna do this to kids, who wanna do this to schools, who wanna do this to hospitals. And we'll bring it to a tyrant from across the world pressing and pushing in on a nation that's innocent and and we go full force over there but the reality is is in our own country because of like our pride and because of our anger and because of our superiority of thought we won't work with other people from the other side because we forgot that we serve a greater king so have your view i'm okay like have your view we have to do better the time is now and as Christians, we're called to lead the way. And if you're offended, pray about it. Because the reality is, you got to wrestle with this and not me. And I know that it's hard. I know that it's hard. And I know we have opinions. And I know that the days are evil and the times are dark. And so we must step forward and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in this way. I know that there are some leaders whose actions and words and thoughts are not worthy of being followed. I know that, but they are made in the image of God and we honor people because who made them, not just what they do. And so tonight, like I know we normally do a song and we normally do all this stuff, but I'm gonna pray. And I just wanna encourage us like how we leave here really matters. This is the greatest maybe opportunity that the church has in the world to be light and darkness and how we do that really matters. And so I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, you guys are free to go and you are free to step out. But let me just tell you something. One of the only ways that I know to fight this is to build into the next generation. And we have a kids camp coming up in July. So you want to be part of the solution? Be part of that kids camp. Start pouring into those kids. Start pouring into that next generation so that they'll be better than us. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word and your truth, even when it's hard, even when my own flesh is warring against it, even when I say, well, what about and what if and maybe when and all of these things. God, could I just come to you now in humility and ask for your forgiveness where I've gone wrong in this. God, may I see people the way that you see them, the way that you made them, so, God, may I be slow to speak and quick to listen. May I hold you above any political allegiance or party. As your church, Lord, we repent. For too long, we've let this world become our desire. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you just turn our hearts to you. Maybe be an honoring people. Maybe be a loving people. Maybe you're a respectful people because of everything that you've done. So, God, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name. Amen. Church, I love you. I know that might have been hard, um, but I love you anyway. And so, let's go have an incredible night. Get out there. Have an incredible week, and we'll see you next week. I love you. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.